that and I'm going to hit record. Recording in progress. All right. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity. It's all about you. It's all about knowing you. It's all about knowing Jesus. It's all about knowing Holy Spirit. It's about that wisdom and, and spirit of revelation, you know, so that we can know as we're known, that we can live the lives you have for us to live and and, and we could be a sweet smelling savor and aroma to you because we're doing that, because that's just what you want us to do. Jesus said he came that we might have life, but not just life, life more abundantly. So that's what it's all about, Lord. We give you all the praise and all the honor and all the glory in Jesus' name, amen. So just to give um, a little update as to why I felt the Holy Spirit leading me to do this, it's because, um, well, especially those that attend Karis, you, you guys know that Pastor Lenny likes to, likes to share and likes to teach. Um, and I've had opportunity to do that in the past. And uh, I hope I'm correct in saying this, but for many of you, it's, it's been um, some of your, your, your greater enjoyments in coming to school. We, we would have, you know, discussions on, on, on different elements and uh, we would dig deeper into grace and you seem to enjoy that. And, and that's, my, that's my lane, my lane is teaching. But things are going to be, you know, different this year um, with Karis. Um, every single class day, every single um, time we meet, there will be uh, a recording device that will record the whole, the whole day. And um, students and, and, and directors are to, are to stay exactly on the Karis line. You know, no other subjects, no other discussions. Uh, it's only what pertains to the classes. And so, you know, I, I understand that, but there's, there's going to be some, some limitations there that uh, we might have, you know, um, well, we might have things we might have visited we no longer will be able to visit. So I said, Lord, what, what are we going to do with all this, this, this information, this revelation, this illumination? And um, he, you know, he, he gave me this idea. And, and that was to have New Life Ministry have its own training or its, its, its own teaching. And I'll tell you, if this is not going to be preaching, it's not going to be devotional stuff. This is going to be like going to Bible school, like, like, like going to Bible college. You know, some things might be um, uh, things you've heard before. They might be things that you're, you're hearing, you know, for the first time um, or hearing in a different way. But there will be many subjects that, you know, you, you haven't um, um, uh, hopefully been enlightened to. Uh, we're going we're gonna to go through the entire, you know, New Testament from Acts to the book of Revelation. And we're going to see specifically the, the references to um, the New Covenant. We're going to see the references 
to the old covenant and where the mixture was we're going to see the the um the warnings of the destruction that was to come uh the warning that was for all the jews where the temple in jerusalem would be totally leveled and that would be the time where the old covenant was totally vanished away and should be no no more part of our lives but because they coexisted and they commingled there is a mixture and that's why this mixture is in the church but we're going to go through the entire we're going to go through the whole book of acts you know all through paul's letters john's letters peter's letters of revelation and you're going to see things that you've read before but i guarantee you you're going to say i've missed it so we're going to talk about uh, eschatology. We're going, to, we're going to talk about a lot of different things. We're going to talk about, you know, the Bible, how the the Bible came about. Um, we're going to talk about the different thoughts uh, behind why we have the denomination. It's it's going to be great. You're going to be able to understand more. We're going to be we're going to talk about how to read and study the Bible. And 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 once we do this, I guarantee you. You're going to pick up the Bible and you're going to start reading and you're going to start looking at it in, in a completely different way. So that's a little bit of a background and um, there's no end to this. I have enough subject matters, you know, righteousness, uh, grace, uh, faith, healing. There's, there's enough. This is, going to, this is going to take a couple of years. So it's going to be continual learning every every time we meet you're going to have notes you're going to be able to put notes together you're going to have a nice working you know workbook manual that you can study from that you could teach from you know I, I i believe you know the lord has called me in this lane of true grace to raise up other like-minded believers you know to teach the lane of true grace like like paul did with timothy and you're going to find the differences between the mixture grace and true grace it's going to be really great so i hope you guys printed out today's um um notes i sent them to you all right and i hope you have them and if you didn't get them just uh text me let me know and i'll make sure you you get them again because this teaching will like we we we, we let you know we are recording it so you'll be able to go back and, and watch it again, or, or, or at least certain sections. And uh, it will be on a podcast that each of you will, will uh, it will be delivered to each of, each of you. Not a general podcast like the ones that, that uh, I, I send out from Podbean or, um, or iTunes. This is going to be special. It's going to come from uh, Podchaser. Uh, a new podcast podcast system that I, I I implemented just for this. So you're gonna you're gonna see in your emails or in your your text box um, a podcast from uh, Podchaser, and that's gonna be this specifically from the recording from these te these teachings. So today we're gonna do lesson one, and lesson one is uh, about understanding the Bible. Now these are some things you might know. Some things you might have heard, it might be repetitive, but hopefully not, and uh, you'll 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 pick up some new ideas. But uh, the main purpose of the Bible. See, if you understand the main purpose of the Bible, it uh, it will help you understand the Bible a whole lot better. 
you know? And the thing about it is when, if you've gone to Bible school or, 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 or you know, basically you, you learn about the books of the Bible, you read through the Bible, hopefully, but there's a lot in there, plain and simple, there's a lot that you read in the Bible that's good, it's, it's great, it's wonderful, but guess what? It's not for you, and it's not for me. There are different covenants. We're going to go through the covenants. There are different, different, different covenants that start, that end, and it's important to know who it started with, who it was directed to, and where it ended. And, and as you understand this progression, you realize that much of what you're reading, it's great, it's good, it's wonderful, but because of progressive revelation and, 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 and the progressive revealing of God, okay, there's a lot that's in there that's not for us. And when you think about it, progressive revelation, we now have everything, and we especially have Paul, where you think that Moses was close to God, or you think that Abraham was close to God, or you think that Noah was close to God, but we have a greater revelation. We have a greater revelation. And we have something that they didn't have, and that is God living inside us. God living inside us. So the main purpose, the main purpose for the Bible, what is it? The main purpose of the Bible is simply to reveal the heart of God. It's to reveal who God is. That's, that's it. it. All right, All right. Somebody, somebody has, has their, their, their microphone, microphone on, on and I'm gonna ask them to mute themselves, okay? okay. So, so it's to it's reveal to the heart of God, God and to reveal who God is. And we know from, from our later revelations where we know God is love. God is love. And you see, so if you don't understand the progressive revelation and if you don't understand that the, the um, early writers and early authors don't ha didn't have the revelation you have, you could read some of the stories or some of the accounts and you don't see God as love. You'll see a different God. You know, a schizophrenic God. No, God is love. This is what the Bible is all about. It's, it's, it's from the beginning. God loved us. Man messed it up. And now he's got to get us back to the beginning. And, and that's where Jesus Christ came in. But it's, it's to reveal God. And God is love. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, in your notes, as it says, it tells us, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that, that loveth is born of God and knows God. All right, for God is love. And then, of course, John 3, 16, we get the greatest of revelations where it tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And, th and that's so important right there. You miss its importance where it says, for God so loved the world, okay, the world. Because one of the things we're going to be talking about later on is, is, is different belief systems, different filter systems. And one of them is Calvinism. And believe it or not, the majority of Christianity, right? They are of the Calvinistic mindset, <clears throat> okay? They believe in the sovereignty of God. We're gonna discuss where this comes from. And, and in God being sovereign, he decides 
who is saved and who is not saved, who is forgiven and who is not forgiven. It's, it's like his unconditional, his selection. And so when Christ died and died for sins, he only died for the elect that God chose for salvation. This is horrible. This is horrible. But many people of Calvinistic background, and many don't even know it. They don't even know that this is the background behind the teaching and the learning of the churches that they attend. All right? Um, and why is this verse important? Because the word world. You know, we're going to teach you how to go in and, and study words out and look words up. And that word world is cosmos. And, and it's meant, it means the entire world, the entire earth, and all of its inhabitants. That's what that word cosmos means and has always meant. So, and there are many, many other instances or references that indicate that God's love and God's grace and God's mercy and God's salvation was given and poured out to the entire world, not just a select few. Um, we read in Titus chapter one, verse two, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised us before the world began. And, and that's another important verse because we know time, you know, point A, point B. It's hard for us to know what eternity is like, but God has always existed. Time has been created for us. God has always ex been in existence before time. And what's amazing is, okay, point A, point B, but before them, before that, he's seen each and every one of us. Before that, point A, point B, he's, he knew each and every one of us. Before point A, point B, he determined that we would live before him in love, live before him in Christ because of his great love for us. This is what the Bible reveals, reveals to us. Its main purpose is to reveal how, how God loves, loves us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, according at, he has chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So again, the Apostle Paul is telling us before point A and point B, <laughs> before time, outside of time, God always was, God's all, God always is. He was in eternity, now he's in time because he's omnipresent, he's present everywhere. And before the foundations of the, of the world, before Adam and Eve, right? He saw us together with him in love. That is, that's, that's phenomenal. And so you understand the Bible, its main purpose is to reveal God, reveal God, reveal God who, who, reveal who God is. You know, don't get cluttered up when you're reading the Old Testament accounts as to, you know, what's going on, why it's going on. You know, just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. And number two, the Bible reveals Jesus Christ. It reveals God's love to us through Jesus Christ. And there's some important scriptures here in Hebrews chapter one, verses one through four, it tells us God who in, in, in times of old, in, in different ways, in different manners, he spoke to us times past and unto the fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has given the final word, the final speaking to us, 
by his son, Jesus Christ, who hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, right when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So then the second the second um, in reason in, in, in the Bible is to reveal Jesus Christ. This is God's love. This is the picture uh, and the revelation of God's love to, uh, to us in Jesus Christ. And this is the amazing thing about this. This is what the Bible is also all about. It is all about Jesus Christ, period. And we see this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. And for study's sake, we do things that you, not ought, you ought not do. And that is we pull verses out. We pull verses out. And that's not good. Letters and writings were made to be written, uh, to be read in their entirety. None of you, having received a letter from a loved one, okay, none of you, three-page letter, four-page letter, would decide to pick up that letter and just go to the third page of the letter, the middle of that letter, and read two sentences from it. And then put it down. It might say something nice. It might say something good. But you're going to miss the whole, you know, of the subject that whoever it was writing to you had written about. Nobody write, reads a letter like that. We receive a three-page letter or four-page letter, you know, from a loved one, especially back a couple of decades where letter writing was big, letter writing was huge. We'd sit down and we'd read that whole letter. I don't know how many times you've seen, you've seen pictures of military men who were off to the military and they received a letter from their loved one back home and they couldn't wait to read the letter, but they read the entire letter. You have to read the entire letter to get the fullness of thought. And we, are, we have been totally led away from that. Um, in, and it's largely because of the way we've been taught about how to read the Bible and how to study the Bible. But so when you're looking at these portions of scriptures, make sure you read what's in front of it and what's after it because it gives it greater de depth. And that's called context. We're going to learn about that too. But it says, but continue, and this is Paul to Timothy, continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing of whom that you have learned them from, and that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures. Now think about it. He's known the Holy Scriptures. There was no New Testament writings, possibly a couple of letters from Paul. So what Paul is referencing here is the Holy Scriptures. He's referencing the law and the prophets, Moses and the prophets. This is what he is referencing. And look what he says about it which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which in Jesus, which is in Christ Jesus. Bang, powerful. We couldn't have a better explanation of what the Bible is about. You know, that's what it's about. It's about the revelation of, of God's love. It's about the revelation of Jesus Christ and all throughout it, through, throughout it, the Holy Spirit helps us see 
the revelation of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Can't make it any clearer than that. Now, the reason why I say you always have to keep things in context and read the whole letter is because this next verse has been ripped out and, and, and has been taught topically and has been misused, and especially because of the way it's been translated. And uh, it's, it's, it says this, for all scriptures is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproving, for correcting. And now preachers will use this scripture out of context, poorly translated, and then they will go and correct you and they will reprove you. And they will even say that God corrects you and God reproves you. All right? And instruction in righteousness. But when you look at the original languages and you keep it in its context with what Paul is telling Timothy from the very beginning, from chapter 1 and chapter 2, where he's telling Timothy, you know, remember those things you learned from me. Remember what I've taught you. Remember what you've seen in my life. Remember the, the message of grace you've received from me and you've heard from me and you've learned from me. Teach it to fine able men that you can teach it to, that they can teach it to, okay? Be that good soldier. Be ready to fight. Why, Timothy? Because they're going to come at you the same way they came at me. Who? The Jews, the circumcision. They're going to come at you the same way they came at me. Be strong. Timothy, rightly divide, rightly divide the word of truth. Keep the law apart from grace. This is what it's all about. And now he's going to tell Timothy, you know the scriptures, it's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about his grace. It's all about his righteousness. So this, this is basically should say, for all scripture is, is, is given by God and it's profitable, profitable for teaching us God's ways, very simply, for proving and correcting God's true righteousness, which is faith in Jesus Christ, just as it says just before. So what has happened today? Because of eisegesis, and we're going to talk about what that is, you know, or topical messages, or 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 people, you know, preachers, and I'm and, and they have good intent. They really have good intent. They have good intent. But taking scriptures out of context, poor translations, hammer people with things that are not really there, things that are not really said. And we're going to go over some other things too. We're going to talk about some other things. All right. So, so the primary uh, purpose behind the Bible is to reveal God, His love, and especially through His Son Jesus Christ to reveal Jesus Christ. Think to yourselves about this. Think about how Paul was using the Old Testament scriptures, right, the law, and he was sent from the high priest with letters in hand to go and persecute the church, to go and arrest believers in Jesus Christ. He even was there when they would be stoned, ergo Stephen. And he was doing it because of what he believed to be how to be righteous by adhering to and staying alongside or with the law. He was zealous for righteousness, zealous for God, but it wasn't the righteousness of God. This is why he says to Timothy, instructing, proving, 
correcting true righteousness, which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So can you see the difference there? Not hammering people with, it's the word of God. We're going to reprove and to correct you. That's, and then they go and they do. Because they think the way to help people overcome sin is to talk about sin, talk about the law, and hammer you with it. Farthest thing from the truth, okay? So back to Paul. Now, what happens to Paul? He meets Jesus, right? And if you could read about this in Acts chapter 9, this is awesome. And he's like, who are you, Lord? It's me. It's Jesus who you're persecuting. What? What? He becomes blinded. He's blind for three days. Ananias comes to pray with him. He receives the Holy Spirit. He gets saved. The scales of the law fall from his eyes. The veil of the law fall from his eyes. And what does it say? This is vitally important, right, to understand. It says that three days later, he is in the synagogues confounding the Jews, right, about Jesus Christ. What? Yes. And what scriptures was he using? The same scriptures that he was persecuting believers with. Why? Because it, the truth and reality of all the scriptures are they're there to reveal salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul's eyes were opened. And so now that's, that's the two main reasons. And this follows up to the third reason. The third reason for the Bible, all right, it, after it reveals, reveals the true nature of God and after it reveal, reveals Jesus Christ, now the next reason or purpose of the Bible is to reveal the new, the new true you and me, you and I. Because as it reveals Jesus in all of his glory, in all of his splendor, in all of his majesty, in all of his character, in all of his ability, in all of his power, it's revealing who you and I truly are, which is beautiful and amazing. This is why every Christian, me, you, everyone we come in contact with has filters. Filters that they have developed throughout life from their devotionals, from their topical messages, from their, their preachers, from, from, you know, from their own you know, exegesis from the Bible, all right? They have their own filters. And this is why it's hard to, to talk to some people. You know, this is why we never argue, but it's hard, it's hard to talk to some people because they have filters in place. And guess what? They will receive revelation. And they'll also receive revelation from, quote, Holy Spirit based on those filters. Well, Pastor Lenny has filters too. And my filters right now are, I am, I can, and I have. All because of the new covenant of grace and faith in Jesus Christ for righteousness. Where I know I am, I can, and I have. So my filter that's in place tells me if I'm ever reading a translation that indicates I'm not, I don't have, and I can't do, then I know it's wrong. That is a filter I have in place. And a filter I also have in place is true grace. It's all about Jesus, not about me. It's all about what he did, not about what I need to do. So that I have a filter in place that will not accept 
someone telling me, you have responsibility, you need to, you must, you have to. If I do, I'm back in the equation again. Then it's me plus. No, it's Jesus only. And when you realize that, that we qualify, that we are, that we have, all because of Jesus, and you realize God's love and Jesus' love, that responds and reflects back to a love for God that no commandment could ever achieve. All right? And so it's after it reveals the love of God and, and Jesus, it reveals the true you and I. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, we see this. And God said, let us make man in our own image after our own likeness. God's intent from the very beginning, very beginning, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, and so on and so forth. The only difference is now, he gave them dominion. See, we're greater than Adam right now. Because now we are what Adam never was. We are a new creation that was born of God, not born of the earth. We now house the very power and presence of God. We are now born of God, born from above, born of the spirit with the DNA of God, with his blood running through our veins. Okay, we were not made from the dust of the earth and then given dominion. No, we were made from the very spirit of God, birthed from the very spirit of God. Just like Jesus was birthed in Mary, the miraculous conception, that miraculous birth, where God was his father, born of the father, that's why he was without sin. The sin nature could not pass through him because he was born from above. Well, we are born from above. We are born again, no longer possessing that sin nature. That man has died. That man is gone. He's buried. It's a done issue. We are born anew and born. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. And this is what the scripture is about. And um, we have some other scriptures there. Ephesians chapter 4, verse, verse 23 and 24, which says, Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man, which after God has been created in, in true righteousness and true holiness. We have been recreated, birthed by God, birthed from above, truly holy and truly righteous. And the way we get dressed with that truly holiness and truly righteousness is not by striving to be or striving to do, but it's being renewed in our mind that we are. And that's why you don't have this verse down, but 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. We all have mirrors in our homes. We all have mirrors in our houses. And the reason for those mirrors is to see what we look like. Well, Paul tells us that we come to Jesus Christ. We behold the image in the mirror, the image of Christ. We see Jesus Christ. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8, 18. And it's beautiful. Read, the, read the, whole, the whole chapter. All right? And you're reading that. And we see the glory of the Lord. We see Jesus. And we're transformed into that image by the Holy Spirit. You believe the image you're seeing is the image of Christ. And your image and the Holy Spirit makes it happen. The Holy Spirit makes it come into being.
Beautiful. Beautiful. So you find out what the Bible is. This is what the Bible is all about, especially Paul's writings. And I make no bones about it that I spend 85% of my time or better, 90% of my time or better reading Paul's letters because Paul writes to the new creation. Paul writes to the born again. Paul writes to the one who's united to Jesus Christ. And I would challenge anybody to find me something in Proverbs that's a good thought, maybe about thinking or maybe about speaking or maybe about the word of God healing us, whatever. Or in Psalms, and I guarantee you, I can show you it in Paul's writings. Paul's writings are amazing when you truly, you know, understand them and learn to, which we talk, we're going to talk about later, contextually, historically, hermeneutically, get revelation of what he's really saying and what he's really teaching there. But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that, be that believe on his name which were born not of blood, nor of the will of man or the will of flesh, but who were born of God. And this is what the Bible is all about. So now we're going to go to point B, understanding theology. All right. Uh, understanding theology is not like equated with understanding the Bible. Because if you stick with those three points, you're going to understand the Bible a whole lot more than 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 most theologian, the, theologians, uh, theologies, the, theologians. You know, many people develop their theology from, from one per week, once per week, 30-minute sermons. Or maybe they're even better. You know, they'll listen to some, some live streams, you know, here and there. But they're all 30-minute messages, 40-minute messages. And most of them are topical messages. And we're going to talk about that. All right? And, uh, and many people develop their theology from these messages, but true understanding of the scriptures becomes unmet. And that's why you find a lot of people deciding to attend ministry schools. Uh, you attend, you, you'll find people wanting to attend seminaries or theological schools where they learn systematic theology. I just want to show you something. I went to two Bible colleges, and um, I don't know if you can see this. You can see this, this thick book, right? And... Um, you can see how small the writing is, right? Right? Now, 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 I hope you can see this. Look at this. Do you see that? You see all those pages and all that writing and all that? Do you know what this book was for? This was one of many theological books to help people understand the Bible. This is what happens when man puts his hand on things. This is what happens when man gets involved with things. This is what happens. Then you have denominations. Then you have Calvinism and Arminianism and, and all kinds of other isms. And, and this is why, you know, Jesus made the claim, the traditions of men have made the word of God of none effect. And here goes my preaching, a little bit of preaching here. And this is why I believe we don't walk in the power that, that they walked in. Or, and I'm, I shouldn't say that. You know, maybe many of us feel we're not walking in the power that they walked in. Maybe you are walking in the fullness of that power. You know, maybe you do uh, have that power to hold out your hand and say in the name of Jesus, I don't have gold or silver, but what I have rise up. 
you know, rise up and walk. Maybe you do have that power that can, that can pass through a crowded city street and your shadow heal people. All right. But, you know, those of you who say to yourself, I, I, I really, I don't. It might possibly be because the word of God is made to be none effect by all this teaching about theologies and, 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 and taking scriptures out of context. And, and we're going to be talking about exegesis and eisegesis. And I don't know if you've ever heard of that. And some of you are going to say, oh, Jesus, but it's going to be, uh, it's going to be good. But, and, and so some, some go to Bible school where they get, you know, supposedly biblical theology, but it's, it's not, it's not real biblical theology. You know, I, I went to two Bible schools and, and they both had Old Testament survey and New Testament. They both had Old Testament survey, okay? But now keep in mind, the Bible is supposed to be about progressive revelation, all right? But every time you take a survey, a, 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 an Old Testament survey course, what do they do? They start with Genesis and they go to Malachi, right? Old Testament. And they go from one book to another book to another book to another book. Guess what? The Old Testament is out of order. It's not in chronological order. It's a mess. Psalms were, there's Psalms written by, 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 by Moses and Psalms written by David and Psalms written by, you know, by Miriam, by other people, you know. So it's not in chronological, hysterical, historical order where you can see this progressive revelation, where you can get a real unfolding of the true nature of God. It's all, it's all, you know, it's, for instance, uh, Job. Do you know where Job should come? Job should come after Genesis chapter 3. Job should be in there between Genesis chapter 3 and Genesis chapter 6. That's where Job comes. But instead, we have it halfway through the Bible before the book of Psalms. You know? And many people, many systematic theologians, many denominations, right? They have their filters and they've gotten them, they've developed them from, from Job. Okay, especially when it comes to sickness and when it comes to catastrophe, when it comes to disease, you know, and, and remember progressive revelation, Job should be after Genesis chapter three. Job had less revelation than anybody. And that's why in chapter 38, he says, surely I did not know God. He says, I didn't know God. So here it is. Many people have built belief systems from a man who ends up saying, I didn't know God. That's like saying, I didn't know what I was saying. <laughs> I mean, there you go. And because uh, many of your sovereignty issues or, 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 or thinking or beliefs comes from Psalm, come, comes from Job. How many people have quoted, you know, the Lord, it's in the word, it's in the Bible, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh. The Lord's gonna bless you and the Lord can take that blessing Come on, this, that's from a man who had no revelation whatsoever. Now, we understand progressive revelation. We understand that. And later on, we're going to put the Bible, we're just going to write it, you know, we're just going to let you know you can write it down, you can jot it down, the chronological, you know, order, the true chronological order of the Old Testament. But, but we all learned it wrong. We did. We all learned it wrong. And even in Bible colleges, they teach us how to read the Bible wrong. They really do. You know, they, they, give, they give us these big letters, you know, that, that, that have charts, you know, read, read this, 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 read this, this uh, chapter this day, 
from the Old Testament, this chapter, this day, from the New Testament. They, they don't teach us contextual re reading, contextual hermeneutics, you know? So we're reading a, a, mismatch, a mismatch, mismatch, or whatever, mismatch, I, mismatch. And you know, from, from the time we were, you know, we were young Christians. I know one of my favorite books, my favorite devotionals, and I'm not speaking against it, I really liked it. It was Our Daily Bread, you know? And Our Daily Bread had one, uh, one verse, and then, and then the author's thoughts, the author's thinking. Who knows what theological background that that author was from? Many times it was Calvinistic. But here it is. We reading that, you know, every day, feeling good, our daily bread, awesome. I'm not speaking against it. What I'm telling you is now we develop a belief system and a filter from somebody taking a scripture, right? And then giving you his thoughts, you know? Or, you know, when I grew up, when I grew up and I became a Christian, I was told just, you know, read your one chapter a day or read your five minutes a day. Read your, read. this is how I was taught. This is what I was taught. And I, and I remember I used to go to bed, you know, and I'm like, oh boy, I don't want to go to hell today. I don't want to go to hell today. If I die, I don't want to go to hell. Why? Because I didn't read my one chapter, you know? And we, and we make it like a, a work. And that's how we learn to attack the Bible. You know, maybe we we're a little bit better now, but we read, we we read a little bit more, but we still don't read it to gain the type of understanding that I'm going to be talking about in in just a, a little little a little while. So we got ministry school, we got seminary, we got Bible school, you know, we got systematic theology, and the systematic theology we we we, we get overburdened with with studies on soteriology, I have these things here for you. And soteriology, you know what that is? That's the study of salvation. And how could men devote so much time to systematic theology, okay, and, and get it all wrong? Where, where they reduce soteriology and salvation to just forgiveness of sins. Where when you, when you look at the context, contextual hermeneutics, historical contextual hermeneutics, and, and you gain understanding and you even see the way the word was used, you look, you look and you find it. It means a whole lot more than forgiveness of sins. It, it, it means a whole lot more. And, and, and those of us know that. It means redemption. It means protection. It means deliverance. It means, it means provision. It means healing. And it means wholeness. And it means wellness. It's very simple. You see the heart of God. If you know the heart of God and you know the heart of Jesus and you, and you see, you watch Jesus. You just look at the ministry of Jesus and you see what salvation is. It's very easy when you come at it with that understanding. And then, but they, then they talk about pneumatology and the study of the Holy Spirit and dispensationalism. A lot of you don't know it, but you've been you were raised in churches, whatever, that teach dispensationalism. And a lot of a lot of people believe that believe that that you know healing's gone and. And, and, and baptism in the Holy Spirit, because they're dispensationalists and they, they get that from the Bible. They, get the, they break the Bible down instead of being progressive revelation, they break it down in, dis, in dispensations, you know? And, and now supposedly we're in a dispensation of grace, but we're not in the dispensation of that, that Holy Spirit that they were in the days of the apostle, all right? So there you go. No more, no more miracle. You know, no, no more miracles. Now, will we get our healing specifically from a doctor? You know, no. And and so, and so, why do they get that? They get that from dispensationalism, and 
You know, many people are in churches today and they have no idea why they're being taught what they're being taught. But it's 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 how their their hierarchy or whatever received their training and received their learning, and now it's becoming part of their learning, and it's and they're building their filters from 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 that. You know, and now when when we come to them with a message of gr true grace and of healing, it's just hard for them to receive because of that filter that's been put in place, planted in place. I, I hope this makes sense. Um, eschatology. Do you know our eschatology is so messed up? It is so messed up. You know, my mother's watching here. You know, we kind of we kind of became born again at the same time, and we we can remember from as early as the seventies. Well, you figure, you know, the nation that the, the the generation that saw Israel become a nation would be the would be the generation that would see Jesus Christ return. This was this is a, a part of eschatology. Why? Because of poor, you know, historical contextual hermeneutics, not keeping things in context, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about that. <coughs> All right, and it happened like 1992, two, <coughs> the year 2000, or Y2K. I get excited. Excuse me. I don't know if you remember all the talk about Y2. Y2K, what's going to happen when all the computers and everything hits 2000? I mean, time is going to be over. Jesus is coming back and, and, they, and they found, you know, um, scriptural references to, to prove it. And when you do topical messages, you pretty much can go into the scriptures and prove anything you want to prove. <coughs> and then I remember the Jupiter effect. The Jupiter effect, where all the planets were going to line up, and they never—it's never happened before. And once they line up, it's going to cause cataclysmic. I think that's the words. Events, and and the world's going to be no more. Jesus is coming back, and it's happened at least a dozen times in my life. And then again, you know, about two two or three years later, the the blood moons, you know, oh boy, woo. and all the prophets, you know, got in there and were saying, hey, you know what, this is it. Uh, this is it. Get ready. Something cat catastrophic, something amazing is going to happen September two years ago, whatever. Uh, uh, or maybe it was three, whatever, three, whatever. And it's because our eschatology is all screwed up because of poor historical contextual hermeneutics. Pulling out what the Bible really said. Who was speaking, who, who he was speaking to. What did they understand that was being told them? Okay, how did they perceive it? What was listener revelation and how that brings revelation to us? Not that, oh man, Jesus is talking something that makes no sense at all to the disciples. And we're going to talk about this. And we're going to show you some examples because it's for us, for for whatever year, 2000, 2010, 2012. And because of that, our eschatology is all screwed up. Listen, am I looking for Jesus to come back? Oh, you know it. Am I ready? Oh, you know it. Because he's made us, he's made us righteous. We're ready. Okay, we're ready. But do I believe he's coming back soon? I, I, no, there's something in me that doesn't. Because I see other scriptures in their context that talk about God the Father delivering 
the expanding kingdom of God to Jesus. When he comes back, his kingdom is going to be so expanding. And you know what? People don't get the fact that, that back in Paul's day, one out of one every hundred people were Christians. That's 1%. Do you know that today, one out of every three people in this world, in this world, believe in Jesus in one way or another or call themselves Christians? Now, you, you know what? There's going to be Catholics in heaven. There's going to be Baptists in heaven. There's going to be Pentecostals in heaven. There's a, you know, we might not all agree with our the way we, we interpret things, but we all believe in Jesus, right? There are three billion people in this world and one billion people ascribe to the name of Jesus. That's one out of three. And we don't hear about all the good things that are coming. We don't, we don't hear about all the revivals. We don't hear about the millions of people that turn out in other continent, or co continents. You know, think about even in the United States, how many churches of a thousand or more, 2,000. I mean, listen, let me tell you something. God is on the move and his kingdom is growing. And Jesus is the one that said, my king, the kingdom of God is like a lump of dough, right? With leaven in it. And that leaven has to work its way completely through. And this is what the word of God talks about. The word of God talks about the never ending, ever expanding kingdom of God. That once that's in place, Jesus comes. And I, I'm excited. I'm, I, I'm excited. Go evangelize. Tell people about Jesus. Because the more the kingdom grows, as the kingdom grows, that's what's going to lead us to the king, to, to, to more to the return of Christ. But anyway, uh, canonicity, how we got the Bible. How did we get 66 books? Is there supposed to be 66 books? Do you know 1 Corinthians is, is, uh, is three letters in one? Maybe it was supposed to be 69. Who knows? How did we get 66? We're going to talk about that, so you know why. Which ones were contested? Which ones were hotly contested? Which ones barely made it in and why? I mean, some good reasonings behind it. It helps you when you understand, when you read certain books in the Bible, you know, it helps you understand them better. And you know why they were hotly contested. All right. We're going to, the difference between exegesis and eisegesis. How many of you know the difference between exegesis and eisegesis? And nobody's hands are going up. Okay. All right. Let me hit this up here. To see if anybody else puts their hands up. Anybody exegesis or eisegesis? Even my Kara students didn't learn what that was. Okay, that's good. Exegesis. Exegesis is approaching the Bible and pulling from it what it says. Making hermeneutics extremely important. We're going to talk about what hermeneutics is. All right, for instance... We look at Matthew chapter 24. Now, we're not going to turn to it because uh, we're going to keep this 90 minutes, so I'm only going to go a few more minutes. Um, but Matthew chapter 24, he, he talks, about, talks about a lot of things there. But he talks about, um, talks about the law, you know, I came to fulfill. And he says, you know, heaven and earth will pass away, right? Until heaven and earth pass away. Not one jot or tittle, right? She'll pass away. Woo, till heaven and earth pass away. Okay. 
And then, and then he's talking about surrounding chapter 24, this great catastrophe that's going to be coming. You know, this great destruction that's going to be coming. You know, and, and he's talking about the temple and not one stone being left unturned, whatever. So we look at heaven and earth and we look at all those warnings, all those warnings about wars and all those warning warnings about armies and all those warnings. And we think it's for us. But exegesis, it's pulling out what was meant for them. What was Jesus meaning? What was Jesus addressing? What did they hear and how did they understand it? All right. Now, we won't read it. It's in your study notes. I gave you a whole um, printout of what in the Jewish mind was meant when they heard heaven and earth, how it related to the temple, how the temple was the portal between earth and heaven, between us and God. And the whole temple, the way it was constructed, was constructed in a way to kind of resemble the universe and kind of resemble the earth. The outer court, you know, uh, the, 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 the court of the Gentiles um, and, and the inner court, the Holy of Holies, when Jesus spoke about heaven and earth, as, as it's portrayed in this article that I gave, gave, gave you, make no mistake, he was talking about the temple. They knew it. When he started warning them about the destruction that was coming, okay, he started telling them and teaching, teaching them about the signs. They're not for us. These happened already. And it's amazing, when we go through Acts, through Revelation, you're going to see the same warnings that Paul gives, echoing Jesus' warnings, that were leading up to A.D. 70, when the temple was destroyed, when Jerusalem was devastated, when there was so much devastation that the entire city was unrecognizable, where more Jewish people were killed and lost their lives than in any other time. But because of the warnings, there were no Christians at that time that lost their life because of that destruction. They heeded Jesus' warnings. They heeded Paul's warnings, Peter's warnings. We're going to show you it all. And they fled Jerusalem. Like the woman, two in the field, you know, one is with child. You know all those... Right? But because we don't understand historical contextual hermeneutics, we get our eschatology all mixed up. Because if Jesus really meant not one until heaven and earth, heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or fiddle will pass away. Okay? So now think about it. If he was talking about a little, a literal heaven and earth, I never thought about this for 30 years. I never thought about this as different things were being preached to me. If he really meant heaven and earth, right? Then that means we should still be following the 613 ceremonial laws. We still should be adhering to the Big Ten, okay? We still should be having church on, on Sabbath, right? Or, you know what? Remember to keep this, this Sabbath, to keep it holy. We need to repent of all these things. 
And just think about, you know, all the, all the, all, we need to be celebrating all the festivals. We need to be celebrating all the, you know, the, the moons, the, the, the stars, you know, and we know that's wrong. We know it's not true because Paul in Galatians chapter three, he's talking to the Galatians about who bewitched them, about how they're reverting back to what Jesus Christ freed them from. So now you have to, you have to understand when he was talking about heaven and earth, he was not talking about heaven, the place where God resides, you know, and the literal earth. He was talking about the temple, okay? So that's exegesis. Now, eisegesis is approaching the Bible and inserting what we think is there, what we think it means, and what we think it's saying. You know, and I gave an example, Revelation chapter um, 8, verse 13, where it talks about an eagle, all right? Please understand this. He's not talking about the United States, you know? We have as an emblem of the United States an eagle. So, so a lot of people, because of eschatology, you know, look into Revelation. They don't understand its, 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 its significance in regarding 70 AD, which hasn't happened yet. And um, they're relating it to... Our, our, our present day and, and in the coming, the near coming future and the eagle, this is, this is depicting the United States. Listen, this is how we get our eschatology all screwed up, guys. Well, you might hate me when this is all done, when this is all over. But go in there and study and study for yourself. So now, you know, I want to give you a scripture about uh, eisegesis. Let's look at it together real quick. I have the wrong reference there. I have C. Peter chapter 1, verse 20 through 21, but it's it's uh it's second Peter, it's not first Peter, okay? It's um second Peter. So when you get to second Peter, you look at chapter 1 and verse 20, it says this: knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretations. Right then and there, that's that's speaks against um, what we just what we just talked about, eisegesis, where people talk about what they believe or what they think the Bible means. All right, this is why it's important for this next point D, hermeneutics. Hermeneutics, especially historical contextual hermeneutics, which is so easy for us guys today to do, to learn, to get a hold on. And um, hermeneutics comes from the Greek word meaning to interpret. So hermeneutics is not related just to theology, but any study of literature or history that requires interpretation. It's the art or science of interpretation. And um, the most reliable is historical, contextual, hermeneutics and 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 so as you're reading the scriptures first of all don't read topics don't read don't read sentences don't read verses read letters read larger portions get the flow get the idea the number one in in historical contextual hermeneutics is what does it mean to the author what does it mean to the author what does it mean to coming from the author's mouth, mouth, 
what is the author trying to say, trying to speak, right? Trying to say. And, 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 and then you, it asks itself, what does it mean or did it mean to the original hearer or the original readers of the day? And then that also takes going back and looking at what the culture was like. For instance, heaven and earth. All you have to do in your, in your, in your searches, in your internet searches, okay, or with your Bible dictionaries, whatnot, is type in what was the Jewish, the Jewish mindset in Jesus' day, or even before that, regarding heaven and earth. And it will come up. It will come up. The temple will come up. And so you begin to understand that based upon the culture of the day, what it meant, based upon the, the, the speaker, what he was trying to convey, and what the hearers were hearing, now we get true rel relevance. And when we get true reader, reader rel relevance or, or listener relevance, then it helps us to get greater relevance. I hope that, ma that makes sense not only changes in our own languages and cultures, but in theirs, as well as changes within the so-called original languages of Hebrew, Greek, and, and Aramaic. I mean, there's been so many changes to languages and, and cultures over the years. That's why it's vitally important to, to go and, 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 and with the click of a, a, a finger, we can have Bible dictionaries, dictionaries, historical dictionaries. We, you know, we, we could, we could uh, like I said, research cultures of the day. You know, you could research the fact that, you know what, I, I grew up hearing about the lamb, right? The shepherd, he lost a sheep and he went and he found that sheep. And when he found that sheep, I don't know where they got this from. He broke its legs and then he carried it on his shoulders until that leg, until that leg was healed as long as it took. Why? Because that, that, that lamb became so attached to the shepherd that the, sh the lamb would never run away again. And this is what God does to us. He, he chastens us. He, come on, where did he get that stuff? Well, you know what? I never thought about this back then. I, I, I never, let me research if that's true. Did, did shepherds back in that day really do that? And you know what you're going to find out? No. No. But maybe, maybe some of you have heard that. All right? It's not true. And so there's lots of things that we've heard that might be, might not be, but it's easy to historically, contextually stay within the context, you know, and hermeneutically go in there and find out what the author was saying, what the, what the hearers were listening to, what the relevance, what, what was, what was relevant, and that makes it a better, better relevant, a better relevance to us. Because when we understand, wow, they were heeding the warnings. They were heeding the warnings of the destruction of Jerusalem, of the destruction of the temple. But what did that mean? What does that mean for us? Well, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13 tells us, that which was obsolete will soon vanish. That was one of the warnings. And what happened? Both covenants were intermingling throughout that 40-year period from from. AD 30 to AD 70. And the biggest persecution came from the Jewish people. Okay. All right. So, so now they heeded those, they heeded those warnings and boom, no more temple, no more priesthood, no more sacrifices, 
No more priest uh, Levitical lineage. No more. The law would never, ever again be used or could be used. It was gone. So what's our relevant? What's relevant to us now? He who the Son makes free is free indeed. We have been freed from the ceremonial law and from the Big Ten. We are now led by the Spirit. We now live by one commandment, a new commandment that I give unto you. There's only one commandment, love others. Love others just like I have loved you. That's it. The law of love. The law of love fulfills everything. And this is what Paul tells us in the book of Galatians. All right. So that's, uh, that's, that's her, her. And make sure you look up uh, some of these scripture verses. All right. And um, I'm trying to hurry up because, man, we're, time goes by. And you know me. I could, I could go on forever. Um, but there are some things I just wanted to touch upon real, real quick. The last page, study forms. Study forms. These are the traditional study forms, devotional, and studies based uh, on, uh, on short daily readings of Scripture, right? Devotion has arisen from belief among Christians that we must read at least, you know, a chapter or a few minutes from the Bible each day to be good Christians. That's where most of us have developed uh, our, our, our filters and our knowledge of God from devotional reading. And then there's topical, re topical Bible study is what many of us have experienced all throughout uh, our, our Christian lives, such as, um, you know, each Sunday, attending church, topical, topical. You know, when I became a, when I became a pastor, I'm like, Lord, how am I going to, you know, to do this? Um, you you got to preach every Sunday, you know? And I started thinking about, you know, what I used to learn. And I, very easy to see that pastors kind of like had topics, like things that, that the congregation they felt had to, had to learn, and you know, so there were you know different topics. They had to learn about this. They had to learn about that. They had to learn about this. You know, and the, the it's good. It's good, but it's very bad because because you could prove anything you want from from topical Bible study. And I do give a um, a scriptural reference there, for instance, where where Paul says we die daily. Right? Boom. How Christians need to die every day. You need to die to self every day. All right? You you need to crucify yourself every And it sounds good. And we we, we lived our lives that way. Oh boy, I gotta crucify myself. I gotta kill crucify. I you know, take up your cross and taking things out of context. Topical, making it sound nice, but with propical. Contextual, historical, hermeneutics, you realize when Paul was talking about we die daily, I die daily, he was talking about those very things he faced. In the book of Corinthians, if you just read it in context, where he was where he was lost at sea, where he was shipwrecked, where he was on deserted islands, where you know, where he found himself with fierce animals, and 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 you, you understand that he's not talking about crucifying yourself spiritually every day, dying to self. He's not talking about that at all. Because the, what Paul teaches is that we were united with Christ and Christ died once, we died once. He was raised from the dead, the newness of life. He was raised once, we were raised once with him, okay? There's no more dying daily. That was taking out of context, but you see, it's a good topic, you know, and, and makes a good, it's one of those mixture pre preachers, preaching, you know, mixture again, where we, we, we try to get people you know, to crucify that 
old man that's still living in them because they believe that we're still just sinners saved by grace. We're still just sinners saved by grace because of, of, of faulty, you know, her, her, hermeneutics. And uh, so, and then you have number three, expository Bible study. You know, an expository Bible study is simply, you know, exposes what the Bible is actually saying contextually. It respects the content. Content. It keeps within the flow. It understands the place in history. It understands the progression. It understands the original audience, the relevance to today's reader. Now, I'm going to give you one more example, and then we're going to close it, okay? And I'll open it up to questions um, if you have any. But I'm going to give you another example. Here's a verse of Scripture that is taken out of context and it's he it's Romans chapter 12 uh, verse 1 where it says therefore i beseech you i'm imploring you to present yourselves you present yourself a living sacrifice before god holy and acceptable before god you present yourself which is your only reasonable service that you might you might show what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So now that's topical. And that sounds really good, but it's so wrong. It's so wrong. Now, if you read Romans as a book, keep it in context, read it as a letter. This is what we're teaching you to do with proper hermeneutics. You will understand why that's wrong. Apostle Paul starts out with the gospel, chapter one, right? The gospel. The power of God for salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and then the Gentile, for therein lies the righteousness of God. Then he goes on and he says, listen, the Jews, you're without excuse. You had the law. Gentiles, you're without excuse. You saw God in nature. You had conscience. Now, chapter three, all Romans, Jew, Jewish, Jewish Romans, Gentile Romans, you see, they were at odds with each other. This is where culture, cultural, you know, uh, exploring, you find out. They were at odds. They still, the Jews still thought the Gentiles, even though they believed in Christ, they still were, they were still subpar. They still were dogs, right? So now Paul is, is saying, you know, you're both without, you're both in the same situation. You're both without excuse. You with the law, them without the law. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. Now, he says, now you're in the same boat. Now you're, you're all in the same boat. You're all freely justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And he goes on to talk about that. Chapter three and chapter four, he talks about how righteousness is by faith. Righteousness is by believing. He goes to chapter five. It's all about God commending his love to you. It's all about God shedding his love to you by the Holy Spirit. It's all about how you've been made righteous, how, how you're at peace with God, how God delivered Jesus, right? for your transgressions, but was raised for your righteousness. Chapter six, you've been united with him. You've been united with him. You've been made one with him. Crucified, died, buried, resurrected. It's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. Now you're led by the spirit. Now you're under grace, right? Seven and eight, and chapter seven and, and, verse, and chapter eight, he's proving it again. He's proving righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. God's sacrifice. God's offering, 
God's perfect one, right? And chapter 10, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, right? Believe with the heart, confess with your mouth. You're righteous for the, you know, for God is the same to all who believe in him. He's getting them on board with each other to be one with each other, to stand with each other. So the Jew no longer looks down at the, at the, at the Gentiles. So they know that they're both united with Christ. They're both one with Christ. So now when you get to chapter 12, verse 1, where it says, I beseech you to present yourself. No. When you look up in the word, in, in the original language, in the Greek, it says, stand beside. Stand beside. So now you, you know that Paul is saying, I'm beseeching you to take your positions and stand alongside one another, together with God's only sacrifice, his only sacrifice, Jesus Christ, which is the only thing you could do to prove what his good, right, and acceptable will of God is. It's got nothing to do with you having to do something on your own. Why would Paul make it about Jesus Christ for 12 chapters, and then in chapter 12, make it about what you have to do? He doesn't. So because of poor translations and because of topical uh, messages, we totally get that scripture out of place. And, and that, there, there are so many more examples, but, you know, but that's it. Um, I've taken an hour and 15 minutes. I hope, I hope you guys were blessed with this teaching. This is just first session. There's, there's, there's going to be so much more. Um, if you didn't find this interesting, you're going to find other ones more interesting. I know it. We're going to talk about covenants. We're going to, we're going to get into new creation reality. We're going to get into it all. This is like Bible school. We're going to school, guys. So I want to open it up real quick. If anybody has a question related to, to today, today's, today's message, we'll, we'll, we'll give it 15 minutes and we'll end at 8.30 unless nobody has questions. Just raise your hand or turn on your, your speaker, turn on your mic and say, Pastor, I got a question or Pastor Lenny, I have a question and we'll take care of it. Nobody? Nobody? All right. I know that I know Joe, Jolie has the question. She just doesn't want to ask. She's got fear of man. No. Yeah. No, Joel. Are you saying? Are you saying that we're living in the thousand-year millennium? Is that what you're saying? No, no that's not. That. that that's that's not that's not what I said. I said what I was saying is our eschatology is a mess because we don't historically, contextually, hermeneutically go into the scriptures and find out what Paul, what Jesus was really was re what really saying. And all I'm saying is he was not addressing us and what we're looking forward to that's coming down the road. He was addressing them and yeah. warning them for what was coming down the road. And the other thing I was saying is all throughout the scriptures, Jesus taught about the kingdom of heaven how it would be like a lump of dough and leaven working its way. What does leaven do? Leaven eventually, um, it, it works its way through the whole, right? The whole dough becomes leaven. And we're talked, we, 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 we find scriptures about the never ending and ever expanding kingdom of God. And um, I, I just believe that there's more souls that are gonna be saved, lots more souls, lots more souls, lots more growth in the kingdom. Uh, the kingdom come is coming and and there'll be a time where the father says okay Jesus there's your kingdom go and take it and when that is going to happen I don't know but but 
my eschatology are, is not screwed up anymore because I go back and, and, and look at scriptures that had a different revelance and the, and the revelance that it had for them is, is, is that's not the revelance that it's supposed to have for me. That's why over the last, since 1977, there have been 12 times where the prophets were completely convinced Jesus was coming back at that time. Now, you see, they live like you're ready to leave. Guess, guess what? You don't have to worry about we don't, we don't have to worry about that because we understand our righteousness and our holiness before God. We're so in love with him. We understand being led with the spirit, led by the spirit. You know, we're not like the five foolish virgins who weren't ready and, and then the, the, five fool, the five wise virgins and they had the oil in the lamp and they were ready and they left and, and you know, now the, the, the five foolish were left behind. We're not, no, but anyway, that's what I meant with that. But we talk about more about that in future lessons. Any, any other question? Were you raising your hand, Julie? I, I'm, uh, I'm Ted, uh, Diane's husband. Yes. Hi, Pastor Lenny. Hi. Hi. You're um, in the dark. Yeah, am I? I think so. I don't mean I've got all my lights on. Yeah, you're uh, good. Okay. Uh, did you say that you thought that um, all of Matthew 24 had been fulfilled? That uh, That it, it, it was all fulfilled prior to AD 70? No. Because that was... Uh, Okay. Um, not prior to, but you see here is something that we have never been taught. We have no idea or no understanding, true understanding on what was meant by heaven and earth. Not one stone will be left on top of another. What? Okay. We have no contextual or historical understanding of what was been, was mean was what happened there. We have no historical contextual contextual understanding of historically what it was pointing to, the wars, the devastation, and it's very easy to research what took place in A.D. seventy when when Rome marched on Jerusalem and they leveled and they destroyed that whole city to where it was, un the, the, the historian Josephus says it was unrecognizable. And they took the temple and they made sacrifice to their gods and they create, and they, and they, and they committed the desolation of uh, the, uh, desolation of, desecration of that, whatever. And then they, they put the whole thing on fire, right? And the gold, there was so much gold there, it melted into the stones. And so they took every stone up from off from one another to, to get that gold off of it. And so there was total devastation. Not only that, millions of, of Jewish people lost their lives who didn't heed the warnings. And so you find out at those warnings, and then later on, as we go through Acts, through Revelation, you will see consistent warnings leading up to that day, a, a great day of, of de devastation. And it's been said historically, which is the way we, that we can in, interpret the scripture con correctly, contextual, historical, hermeneutics, that no one Christian, Jerusalem, lost their life because they all heeded the warnings, and by AD 70, they were all gone. 
Yeah, I totally agree with that. Okay. Yeah, I totally agree. I, ju- I was just, I was wondering if you thought that somewhere around verse 25, he kind of changed subjects and started talking about the end times. But no, yeah. I, <laughs> reader, re- reader re- relevance, and uh, no, that's where I, okay. I believe it was for the, for that for that day. And that's where, like I said, all our eschatological tr- challenges come. And that's why, you know, I've been a Christian since 1977, not a whole long, you know, but and every time you, you, you have a tsunami or every time you have a hurricane or every time you see a war or, or, or whatever, um, you know, boom. And then so you have Jesus coming back and, and now it's been 12 succinct or more you know, times that everybody was assure, assured of. I mean, there were times throughout the whole world where armies marched and devast I mean, greater devastation. I mean, we have the internet, we have Facebook, we, we, we know what's going on and, you know, we, it's just, it's just a different time, but I don't know if I answered your question, but anyway, <laughs> we can, we can, we can get that into greater discussion, you know, yeah, later on. Yeah, no, thank but you. thanks you for asking. Question. Thank you. But anybody else? No? Yeah, let me, I just want to make a comment. First of all, this was just totally awesome. I did learn some of this in school this past year, and I think it's awesome. But I loved what you said was about Romans 12, 1, because I didn't really understand that scripture very well. And I used to think the way, you know, you were kind of describing in the beginning the way they thought. But when you said stand beside one another together, man, that was just a wow moment for me. And I love that. So I really, this is just awesome tonight, and I just want to comment on that. The second thing was when you said, um, pick up your cross, deny yourself, pick up your cross. I have interpreted that as really just don't be offendable. Now, I don't know if that's truth or there's any truth to that, but I've I've heard it's like you just don't, you know, just try not, you know, don't really let people get to you. Don't be offendable. And I don't know if that's true or not. That could so be, that, that could be that. Uh, yeah, that could be part of it. But the bigger part of it was realize that Jesus had not gone to the cross at that time. So one of the bigger gotcha. bigger messages in that when you're looking at what was happening was he was telling them to be prepared. Listen, you're going to go on a journey, you know, so just be prepared. You're going to follow me, be, be, be prepared. And the thing about the cross was, yes, it was horrific. It was a, a horrific way to, 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 to die, right? But it was an extreme um act of humiliation and so that was another thing where he was saying listen you're going to be ridiculed by your family you're going to be humiliated but you know but listen when you make your decision you gotta decide you're going to follow me because this humiliate you know you're going to be you they're going to try to humiliate you and just like the humiliation that was that was with the cross that was really humiliating but but he wasn't okay. actually saying, you know, you got to die physically. No. But, uh, okay. gotcha. um, and the reason why I came up with, you know, a greater understanding of Romans is because there was one month where I read the entire book of Romans, the entire book through every morning. And you could just see the progression. You can see what he's doing. And so you can see, it, it's just like, God causes all things to work together for those who love him. Let me tell you something. God's been causing all things to work together for my good my whole life, even when I didn't know he was. 
And so when, they, when you look at the, the, the great message of salvation that Paul is talking about, then when he talks about how God commends his love for us while we were yet sinners, then when you, when you see Paul saying that the Holy Spirit was shed abroad on our hearts to reveal the love of God, he's all this revealing and all this revealing and all this revealing from God loving us. Why is he going to say God causes all things to work together for you if you love God when he's just said all throughout the, the book how God commends his love for us? And so I like the way the Passion Translation has it, and I believe it. he says it this way, God causes all things to work for the good for his lovers, you know, his lovers, his lovers. He loves us. I like, I like that translation better, better for that. But I read the whole, you know, the whole book through every morning for, and it just gives you a, such a better understanding, a clearer understanding. And at nighttime, I read the whole book of Hebrews. And together, whew, amazing. But thank you for that. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate I hope you guys it. had a, a good time. Listen, if you, you didn't like it, hang on. There'll be parts where you will like and and, and <laughs> it gets more. But this is, like I said, we're going to Bible school. We're gonna, you're going to be learning some of the things you would learn at Bible school. And uh, so with that, I'm going to say good night. Um, you can instant message me. Let me know what you think. All right. What do you um, mean? We told you it's awesome. It's amazing. Listen, Duran Duran, the rock group. I know you think everything I do is awesome, but I appreciate no, it. I, really awesome. I love you guys, man. I love you guys. The, the, the mirror translation you can get is really good. I've started using it a lot, and yeah. uh, Romans will help you. But I, I do like Romans twelve one and two in the in the Passion better. That translation of Passion, I yeah. think, is the, the mirror. The Mirror Study Bible, Francis Dutrois. He writes everything from one filter. Well, first of all, it's mainly Paul's writings, but although he gets into Luke, because Luke was really good friends with Paul, so Luke has a lot of Paul in him. That's why Luke chapter 15, the, the grace chapter is in Luke and not in all the in any of the other Gospels. Um, any, any, anyway, what was I just saying? <laughs> oh, so, so Dutrois has a, 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 a grace filter on, a, a real... And so when you read his book, you're not going to read anyone who's more anti-law and pro, you know, Jesus Christ than he is, and which is, which is a good filter to have, you know, not, not that his work is perfect, but it, it's good because it has a grace filter and, and a law filter, a way, you know, which is, which is really good. So, all right, guys, I love you. Uh, it is going to be recorded and I'll send you the recording. And how do I stop recording? Stop recording. Recording stopped. I love you. And uh, I'll send out invitations for the next time. August is going to be different dates. It's not going to be the second and fourth. It's going to be the third and fourth, back to back. Because the second week, uh, Lori and I and my daughter Allison are going to be in Colorado. We're going to be at the Healing is Here, Healing is Here seminar. We're going to be, you know, we're one of the speakers. Believe it or not, we're one of the speakers. So. Want to watch it online so as All right. we get close, remind us. God bless you guys. I love you. Say, say I'm gonna say goodbye now. Bye bye, thank you. Oh, that was